get that. And Father, we pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. We see these events coming to pass. We see that, Lord, that um, it's the birth pangs, that the contractions are happening uh, more frequently and more intensely. Uh, we see that you told us that we can be wise and discerning. We don't know the day or the hour that the Lord comes. We know that's clear. But we know that the Apostle Paul would write that we can know the seasons and the times. And we know, Lord, that we are coming and approaching um, the time that you have spoken of here in the Scriptures, those events that will take place preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as there's going to be a lot of false uh, deception that is out there, and a lot of false, false hope, that we would cling on to the living hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would continue in the truth of your word, and that we would stand for righteousness in these days, and that we would be ones that would be a light to a world that needs to see truth and light and your love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You see, it's important for us to, to know truth and to continue in truth, to be established in God's promises and, and to continue to be ones that we are walking in obedience because it's there that we have the, the victorious Christian life. And that's what we looked at, didn't we, as we were going through the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is a book of victory because the children of Israel, that generation that came through the wilderness, uh, their fathers died out there in the wilderness. But it was this new generation that, that was raised up and would go into the promised land, and they would take the promised land, driving out the inhabitants, as we saw there in the book of Joshua. And we saw the important lessons there given to you and to me as Christians, how we can enter into the fullness of God's blessing, of the richness of that victorious Christian life that he has for us. And this is one thing that I hope that we would never, ever forget that the Lord desires each and every single one of us to not only experience life, but that life abundantly that he has for us. That's what Jesus said. I came to give you life that is eternal life that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love that song that we sang, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what saves us and brings forgiveness and redemption and right relationship with the Father. It's coming in faith and recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that he's alive and he rose from the grave. And so as we surrender our hearts to him, we have the promise of eternal life. But you see, he desires to also for us to experience that abundant life. Just the richness and the fullness of what God has for you and for me. And as we have gone through these chapters, the first six books of the Old Testament, we've learned some very powerful lessons, haven't we, about what happens if we uh, walk with the Lord, if we walk in obedience, just as we did in the book of Joshua. What happens to you and I is we stand on the promises of God. We see victory in our lives, and we see God working in a very powerful way. We see that God's word is true, and that not a word that he gives to you and to me will fail. And that's what he told the children of Israel, as we saw Joshua's final address that he gave to them last week in chapter 24. You've seen the goodness of the Lord. You've seen that not a word that he's given to you has failed. And so they had rest and peace in the land because they were ones that would move out in faith and stand on God's promises and walk in obedience. And those are things that I hope that we would always remember and apply in our own lives, that, Lord, that your word is true, and that, Lord, as I walk in obedience, standing on your promises, and as I come and just rest in your promises, that, yes, that I'm going to experience the blessings that you have for me, the, the fullness of the richness that you desire 
for me to have in this life presently. But also, as we have seen, the children of Israel before that, that generation that died out there in the wilderness. And it's interesting that on Sunday, as we move into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that Paul's going to use them as an example for stumbling. You recall, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, that chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians is dealing with our Christian liberty. And Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about uh, eat that meat that's been offered to idols. Should they eat that meat or not? And Paul says, here is the principle. That knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And you can have the knowledge that that meat offered to an idol doesn't contaminate the meat because the idol is nothing. But here's the thing. Out of love and sensitivity to the weaker brother or sister, you don't want to stumble them. So Paul says at the end of chapter 8 that if I eat meat that stumbles a weaker brother or sister, I just won't do that. I won't eat that meat anymore. And then in chapter 9, as we saw, he moves in, uses himself an example of one who gave up his rights as an apostle not to be supported in ministry because he didn't want to hinder the gospel going out to the Corinthian believers. And then at the end of that chapter, if you were here on Sunday, he says that not only are you not to stumble others, but don't you stumble as well in the race that you're going to run. And you Corinthians know this, that all of us are in a race and there is a prize to win. So run that race to win the prize. In other words, we don't want to be caught up in anything that's going to cause us to stumble, to get tired, to be weighed down. And so that's what we talked about on Sunday. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to pick up the CD of, the, of that teaching. I think extremely important for us as Christians to understand that God tells you and I, every single one of us, we have a race to run. And Paul says that I'm temperate in all things. That is, I'm disciplined. And, and I put my body under subjection. In other words, he doesn't let himself be ruled by his fleshly desires, that I may not be disqualified. Now, he's talking about rewards. He's talking about the crowns that come to us, the imperishable crown that is laid up for you and for me in the things that we do in this life. He's talked about rewards in chapter 3. So all those things that we discussed there, he's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about don't stumble and be weighed down because there's rewards for you to gain. So in our lives, we want to be ones that we see the principles given to us over and over again about walking in faith and walking with the Lord closely and loving Him and walking in obedience. And there is going to be blessing in that and reward in that. But also, he goes into chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, and then he starts to use the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering as an example. He says, these are examples to you, as he talks about their complaining, their lust, their immorality, their idolatry. Because they stumbled out there in the wilderness, and they never entered into the fullness of what God had for them because of disobedience and because of unbelief. And because of that, they would be 40 years out there in that hot, dry desert, that wilderness. And you see, as a Christian, you can experience the barrenness and, and the dryness in your Christian life if you're one that you're not walking in obedience, if you're not believing God's word, if, if you're one that's not resting in his love. And so these are very important things that we have seen reiterated to you and to me over and over again. And I pray that it's worked out in your life, that as we go through these verses and through these books, as we start another book here, we can see those powerful lessons. They're examples, Paul says, in the Old Testament. And it's interesting. A little preview for Sunday. 
that that word examples means impression, uh, like a print. It's the same word, Greek word, that Jesus uses in John chapter 20, verse 25, when he talks about the print that is on his hands and on his feet. Very fascinating to me. So what does it mean? Come back on Sunday and we'll talk about it a little bit. (laughs) Jesus died for you. And he died for me. And he loved us so much that he went to the cross of Calvary. And if he loves you that much, don't you know he loves you now? To where he wants to bless your life. And he wants you to experience just the richness of his blessing as we just come to him and yield to him. So the book of Judges, what we're going to see is the opposite of the book of Joshua. And the book of Judges is going to show us what not to do. The book of Judges is going to show us how it is that we can end up in captivity and how we can end up uh, being in, in, in bondage and experience defeat and depression. And you see, the book of Judges is a period of about 350 years this book covers. And this generation after Joshua, what we're going to see is as they forsake the Lord and they begin to turn to other things, to false gods and to worship the Baals and the Asterisks. And that's what we're going to begin to see. In chapter 1 here, what we're going to see is uh, the conquest of Canaan and a little bit of a review here uh, of them continuing their conquests. And, and then we're going to see that it goes, that progresses from their conquests to their incomplete conquests, or that is that they're going to begin to compromise. And then that compromise is going to lead to disobedience. And you see, the same thing can happen to us if we're not careful. There can begin to be compromise in our lives, and more compromise, and more compromise, and pretty soon, if that continues, that it can lead to where you have willful disobediences taking place in your life. So as we read here in the book of Judges, Now after the death of Joshua came to pass, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So the book of Judges actually starts out okay, doesn't it? They go to the Lord, and they say, Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So they're still turning to the Lord. They're still asking of the Lord, you know, how is this going to work? What battle should we engage, and how should we do it? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up, and he promises them again victory into the, in their lives. I've delivered the land into his hand. So it starts out pretty good, doesn't it? But it isn't going to stay that way. And we're going to see that they are not going to always be turning to the Lord. So there's going to be the cycles, what we're going to see in the book of Judges, that they will turn away from the Lord, find themselves in bondage, and then they will cry out to the Lord, and the Lord will raise up a judge or a deliverer that will help them from their bondage. They will then yield to the Lord, and, um, and then after that judge dies, then they fall right back into disobedience and forsaking the Lord. And then they're in bondage once again. And there's this cycle that goes on for 350 years of their history. And so we're going to look at some of those judges and familiar stories that as we go through this book. We're going to look at Deborah and, and, and uh, Gideon, the story of Gideon, and Samson and others. But one of the other things that we're going to see as well, that as this theme is in the book of Judges, they did what was right in their own eyes. That we're going to see that the depravity that they get involved in is going to lead to greater depravity to greater depravity. 
And that is a principle and a truth that the Scripture teaches. And we know that in the New Testament from Romans chapter 1. That depravity and morality continued is going to continue to grow and, and get more perverse if there is not a repentance and a turning to the Lord. And I believe that's what we are seeing in this world and in our own society and in our own nation. A turning away from the Lord and turning towards that which is false and that which is deceptive, doing what is right in our own eyes. And we're going to see that the depravity and we're going to see that the immorality is going to get worse and worse unless there is repentance, and true repentance and turning to the Lord in our nation, in our society. And that's why we want to pray for revival and pray for a nation. So here, they're still asking the Lord. The Lord says, Judah, you shall go up. And so verse 3, Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you in your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Now, I know that you recall that when we were looking at the land being divided up, we had a map up here of all the different allotments of the 12 tribes of Israel. You recall that Judah took over most of the southern part of the area which they conquered of, of Israel and embedded in and inside the territories of Judah was Simeon. They were the smallest of the tribes and um, they were there in the southern part of the nation. So here is Judah going to Simeon saying, come help us, we're brothers. And so Simeon went with them. Verse 4, Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the parasites into their hands and they killed 10,000 men of Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek um, in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the parasites. And then Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and caught him and cut off, cut off, that is, his thumbs and his big toes. In verse 7, and Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. So Judah has victory over this king, and his name is Adonai Bezek. Adonai means Lord. But here is Adonai Bezek, which is lightning, Lord of the lightning. It sounds kind of scary, but this guy was no match for the true and the living Lord, the God of all gods. And God gives them victories, and they catch this king of Bezek, and they cut off his thumbs, and they cut off his big toes. Now, with that, cutting off his big toes, he wasn't going to be able to walk. It's amazing how God made the human body. That big toe, <coughs> that gives you balance and enables you to be able to walk. Without that big toe, uh, very, very difficult. And the thumb, of course, he would not be able to use any weapons. And it's interesting his response here that it says that 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. In other words, apparently he had done this, this king, to 70 other kings of the Canaanites or around in that territory. So what he's saying is that God has repaid me. And you know what? That principle is given in the scriptures. Here is a king that he has his thumbs and big toes cut off because he had done that to 70 other kings. I want to remind us of something. That Jesus said, whatever measure you judge will be measured back to you. And if you're one that if you're going to go around and pointing the finger at everybody and, and judging and, and condemning and being critical, and there is a time and a season for there to be correction and rebuke, but it's done in a biblical manner, in a manner of love, 
and a desire for that person who you might bring correction to or might have to rebuke or you might uh, have to, to point out something that's wrong in their life because you desire for them to repent and to do well because you know that what they're doing or what they're about that perhaps that is going to bring harm to them. But if there's this critical spirit that you have and, and you're pointing the fingers and always looking for fault in people, always understand this, the measure in which you judge, it will be measured back to you. So if you're pointing the finger at somebody, you're going to have three fingers pointing back at you. And so I think that we need to be ones and wise and discerning when it comes to the area of bringing correction. And, and here he says that God has repaid me for what I've done. And they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. Now, it's interesting that Jerusalem is mentioned. We're going to see it mentioned here in a little bit. I'll make some more comments on that. So verse 8, Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterwards the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowlands. In verse 10, Then Judah went up against Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjath Arba, and they killed Sheshai in Ahab. I men and Talmai, and there they went against the inhabitants of Debar, and the name Debar was formerly Kerjath-Sephir. So what we see here in this Judah going against the Canaanites, we see this review once again told to us in the book of Judges how it's going to be Caleb that's going to take Hebron. And, and the event that we talked about there in Joshua chapter 15 and so we read in verse 12, Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kerjath Sefer, or that is Hebron, and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Ashkish as wife. So Othanel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave him his daughter Achish as wife. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And I, I was kind of wondering and thinking about why would the Lord have this story be recounted that we read about in Joshua chapter 15, once again here in Judges chapter 1. You see, we see the furthering conquest of, of the lowlands. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like in the middle of it, uh, we see this review of what we've already read about. And some have commentators have suggested, because Othanel is being mentioned here, we're going to see him in chapter 3. He's going to be the first of the judges that is going to be mentioned here in this book. So maybe it's an introduction to him is perhaps what they're saying, perhaps. But I think it may be more than this. Because in that land, Hebron, that they took, and in that area where they were in the south, it is desert, it is hot. You will see that if you go to Israel with us next year. And here is Caleb that says, whoever takes this city, Hebron, I'm going to give them my daughter. And so it's Othanel that says, you bet I am, and I'm going to go for it. And so he goes for it, and he takes Hebron, and he gets Caleb's daughter as his wife. And then Caleb's daughter, Achish, she goes to Caleb, her father, and he says, what do you wish? She says, that you've given a blessing to me. You've given me the land in the south, verse 15, but also give me springs of water. So Caleb give her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now, those of you who are here when we went over Joshua chapter 15, you recall that we made the application in this, and perhaps that maybe the Lord put this story in here once again to remind us, you and me, 
that it is so very important, the way to keep from this disastrous outcome that's going to happen now in the rest of the book as they go into disobedience. The way for you and I to keep from compromising is we're going to see that now that this has been reviewed, we're going to see that they're going to compromise. There's this incomplete conquest of the land that leads to then total disobedience. The way and the key to keep from doing that is what? To keep going to the Lord. And Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow torrents of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we talk about those things of Joshua and walking in obedience and standing on the promises of the Lord, we need to be men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what my prayer is for all of us, that we would be ones to understand that we can't do these things out of the flesh. And what my prayer is for everyone here and and for this Church Calvary Chapel is that we would be ones that we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That what has begun in the Spirit, in our lives and in this church, that we would never try to perfect in the flesh. Because if it is something that we're trying to do in the flesh and trying to please the Lord or walk with the Lord or be obedient to the Lord, it's not going to work. It is the Lord that's going to enable us to experience that that spirit-filled life and blessing that it has for us as we are depending on Him and the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be men and women that say, Lord, I want more of you every single day to refresh me and renew me. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. He would say to the people up in the Galilee region, to come and eat of me and drink of me, and you'll never thirst or hunger again. He's talking about close, intimate relationship with him, a closeness with the Lord, recognizing that we need the Holy Spirit of God coming upon us to empower us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. And you see, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to enable you to walk in obedience is going to enable you to do what he's called you to do. Enable you to run the race to win the prize. And I think that perhaps maybe that was thrown in here, the quick reminder how we need the Lord working in our lives and the dependency on him and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so verse 16, the children of the Kenites, uh, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms, that's Jericho, with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon. They attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Sephpath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. And then Judah also took Gaza in its territory. That's over by the coast of Mediterranean. Ascalon in its territory and Ekron in its territory. Those ended up being the major cities of the Philistines that we'll read a lot about when we look at the life of David in First and Second Samuels. So the Lord was with Judah, verse 19, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, we read in the book of Joshua, remember that it was the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and half the tribe of Manasseh on the west side, that came to Joshua and said, we're a great people, we need more land. And what did Joshua say to them? Clear out the wooded areas on the mountaintops. Clear out the wooded areas and then go down into the valleys. They said, we can't go down in the valleys because there are chariots of irons down there. 
those chariots that the Canaanites have, and we don't have any chariots. And Joshua's response was, you're a great people because of God. He's made you great, and he's greater than those Canaanites. So you go and take what has been given to you. So that was the exhortation of Joshua. Here we see that Judah they had the same problem. They're up on the mountains, but they didn't go down into the valleys because they were afraid of the Canaanites that had those chariots made of iron. So we're seeing this compromise and this fear that grips them. Down there in the valleys, why were the Canaanites down there? That's where, you know, the farmland was. That's where they would grow the fruit. And you see, for the, you and I to experience just that fruit that God has for you and for me, a fruitful life for Him, to abide in Him and trust in Him and rely on Him, and to stand on those promises that there are those chariots of irons that we are going to face in our lives. But we believe in a great and awesome God, don't we? That will fight for you and for me. That will work on our behalf and show himself strong on our behalf. And here Judah, they said, mm, now we can't go down in there. And, and they gave, verse 20, Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said, and they expelled from there the three sons of Anak. And then the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem, so the Jebusites dwell in the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Isn't that interesting? Here they, they had brought this king that we read, uh, Adonai Bezek, to Jerusalem, and there he died. They had took Jerusalem, but they did not drive out the Jebusites. And the Jebusites would inhabit Jerusalem. Jerusalem, this is God's holy city. And they would continue to inhabit this area for nearly 400 more years. Till David takes it. But we see, again, this incomplete you know, conquest of what God wanted them to do. Verse 22, The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built the city, and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. So here they, they're going to take over this, this city, Bethel. You remember Bethel in the book of Genesis? That was the place that, um, that Jacob named. It means the house of God. And that's where God reiterated the covenant that, that Jacob, all of this is going to be yours, and Jacob called it Bethel, the house of God. God was here, and I didn't even know it. And he's going to give my descendants this land. So here is Bethel. The guys go up and they, they ask somebody, please show us where the entrance is. And, you know, it wasn't that they were lost or they couldn't see that there's the entrance to the city. It, it was usually they knew that if they, they were going to be attacked, they shut the gates, there would be a secret place to enter into that city where they could bring water in or food if they needed to. So this man with his family shows them. They make the deal with this enemy, and they let him go, and then this guy goes and builds another city, Luz, and we're going to see that this city is going to end up being a sore and a, and a problem to the children of Israel. Guys, don't make a deal with the enemy, okay? He is going to try to manipulate and get you to deal with him and compromise with him, and you don't want to do that because you know what? The enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion and he's going to come back and rip your head off. 
And he's going to do anything that he can to cheat you and deceive you and rob you. Don't make a deal with the enemy. But here they were told they were to utterly destroy the Canaanites and the inhabitants there, but they let this man go. In verse 27, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bashan and his villages and Teanach and his villages and the inhabitants of Dor and his villages and the inhabitants of Ibliam and his villages and the inhabitants of Megiddo and his villages and the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute but did not completely drive them out. What we're going to see is that we've already seen some of this that some of the land they in cities that they conquered, but the Canaanites, they would put them into forced labor there as they were under tribute, but they didn't drive them out. Again, they compromised. They could have driven them out. If they put them under forced labor, they could have driven them out, but they didn't. So we're seeing this pattern of all of a sudden, fear is coming in. They're not going down to the valleys. They take over the Canaanites. Compromise is coming here, which is going to lead to disobedience. As we read verse 29, continued compromise, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, and the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, the inhabitants of Nahalo. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko and the inhabitants of Sidon and Alab and Akzeb and Helba and Apt. Hick and Rahab, so the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and inhabitants of the land, and they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow, not allow them to come down to the valley. So Dan, that's where Samson is going to come from. They're driven to the mountains, again, not taking the valley where there is fruit. And that place of abundance, because of fear that had taken place in their lives. And so verse 35, And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Harris in Ai-Jalun, and in Shalabim, Yet with the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put on her tribute. And now the boundary of the Amorites was from Ascent to Akrabim and from Shelah and upwards. Chapter 2, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you into the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So this angel of the Lord, clearly it's the Lord himself. Why do I say that? Because he says, I'm going to lead you from Egypt. I, I did lead you from Egypt. Uh, I, I swore to your fathers, I will never break my covenant. So it's personal here, personal pronoun. I led you from Egypt. I swore to your fathers, I will never break my covenant with you. So here's the Lord speaking to the children of Israel. Verse 2, And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? It's a sad verse, isn't it? And we need to understand something. That as the Lord gives us his word, and as we turn away from that, and turn away from walking with the Lord, it is a heartbroken father that says, why have you done that? Didn't I send my son to die for you? Haven't I freed you from sin and, and the bondage of sin? Don't I desire to, for you to experience my promises and, and my blessing in your life? 
why would you want to turn away and go after those things which are false? And sometimes as Christians, we picture God as angry, you know, and leaning over the banisters of heaven, you know, and, ah, you know. And that's the way a lot of pictures, people and Christians picture God. But it's a voice of a heartbroken father that says, oh, why have you done this? Because I want to bless you. And I desire for you to experience goodness and there's safety, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, and walking in God's wisdom and being surrendered to Him. The question is, for all of us, is do we really believe that? And I know that this flesh that we're in and this, this fleshly nature can so easily be distracted or turn to other things or the pleasures of the world or compromise or begin to... To, to look at and get distracted with things of the world, whatever it might be. And it's a loving Father that is saying to all of us here tonight, I love you. Why would you want to turn away from my ways and my word and my promises? Because it's all deception. Paul would say, don't be cheated by those things in the world, and the world's philosophy and Traditions of men with that which is not of Christ, because in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. My prayer for all of us, old and young alike, is that we would really believe that, Lord, your word is so true and good, and I want to know your word, and I want to stand on your promises and walk in your ways, and, Lord, not deviate from it. And that's why, folks, I'm so adamant about giving you the Word of God. Because as I give you the Word of God and as we go through these chapters and as we go through these books, we are seeing things and hearing things and knowing God's truth and knowing Him and His goodness. And that's what a value I can give to you. God's truth. And to bring out God's love in the pages of these scriptures. To make us wise for salvation. Timothy, continue to know the holy scriptures that you've known from childhood. That will make you wise for salvation. And in that, when he talks about wise for salvation, not just wise so you can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as part of it, but he's talking about the full orb of God's blessing and directing you and guiding you. And I believe that God wants to do so much in so many people's lives but for some reason, we do get distracted. Some reason, we did get pulled away. And some reason, we end up entertaining the flesh a lot of times. And all of us can experience that. And here are the children of Israel that have seen the goodness of the Lord. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. He's brought you and I out of Egypt. Egypt, a picture of the world. He's brought us out of the world, hasn't he? We're free from the deception and bondage of the world. We don't have to go through what a lot of people in the world go through that are in bondage to the world because we're free from that. We're free from all that junk and confusion and deception. And he's brought us to a place where he desires for us to experience his richness as we live for him and look for him. Folks, I pray that we would just be ones that this summer, you know, this summer right now, as we begin this summer with Memorial Weekend coming up, 
and it's a time where we're going to get away and go on vacations. I know some of you have expressed that, and, and you've you know, said, here's the plans and stuff, and that's great. We pray for your safety. We pray that you have a wonderful time. We pray that um, you find rest and relaxation. That's why we do these things. But you know what? I pray more than anything is that you would just grow in that rest that you find in the Lord and that peace and that true fulfillment and purpose and happiness. And don't let compromise come into your life. Let's not have compromise come into our fellowship. Let's not have compromise come into my life, any of us. That's, that's what we want to say, Lord, that we want to look to you and believe you in your word and Lord know that you want the very best for us and help me to run my race and to continue to grow in your word and in your love it's a broken hearted father that says oh I want to do so much in your life if you just follow me yield to me ask of me Jesus said, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. You know, we're going to stop there tonight because I have a feeling I'm not going to get through chapter 2. I could, but we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> so I will spare you of that. And we'll come back to it next week. I just pray as we go to the Lord in fellowship here, or in worship, and we're just going to worship a little bit longer. That if there's anything that is taking place in your heart or in your life that you know this isn't right, it's weighing you down, it's stumbling you, it's, it's contrary to the, what God would have for you, that you would give it to Him because it's a loving Father that says to you, turn away from it, yield to me, receive my love and my forgiveness and that we would walk out of this place saying this is going to be a season Lord where I just want to draw closer to you and know you more and believe in you and walk in your ways you know one of the things that I really want to press upon you know you parents that are here with the you know junior high when we go to camp and you know, with the kids at Vacation Bible School is, is these same things that we're talking about here tonight. You know, I want to get the junior high kids to understand that you guys are old enough. Start having a little devotion in your lives. Start that. Read, read the Bible a little bit each and every day, even if it's a few verses, to get them thinking in that way. To be praying for your parents and be praying for your friends. For the kids, when we have vacation Bible school, the Lord has put on my heart to do a lot of the teaching for them. Because you see, I want to be a pastor not just for you, but for, for the kids as well. And for them to understand that God's word is true and will never lead you astray and to believe in God's word. And it's so wonderful to see the kids just growing in God's word. And some of these kids, they know more than... Some Christians that I've been Christians for a long time because they're not really in the Word. They're not really studying it. And I don't say that in a being puffed up. I'm just saying 
as we just continue, just get them ferment that God created you and he loves you and his word is true. And you can always go to his word for answers and direction and guidance and for strength and to find truth and to have them learn those lessons and for us to continue in that way too because you know what? The Lord is coming back, folks. And there's going to be a lot of deception that's out there because we're seeing the international order being put together and other things that are taking place, the signs that are all around us that points to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And you know what? This is the most significant prophetic time I believe we are living in since Jesus walked on the earth. I really believe that. I really do. And there's a lot of confused people out there. And there's a lot of people wondering if there's any hope. And I pray that they would look at us, that we wouldn't be involved in some of the silliness and nonsense that is part of the church today, but men and women that are committed to knowing God and loving Jesus. I pray for revival in this church and revival in the hearts of our young people because I also know that Satan is desiring for our young people and all of us to make compromises. And I know what that compromise does. We've just seen it. Compromise after compromise after compromise, a little bit here, a little bit there, all of a sudden it leads to willful disobedience. And I know that there will be defeat and bondage in that because God's word declares it. And it's a brokenhearted father that says, why? Because I have so much more for you. And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's my prayer, is hearts would be stirred this summer. And that we would all have a desire to draw closer to him. Kind of an interesting afternoon, wasn't it? The storm clouds gathering. And it came quickly. And that's what I'm seeing in the world today, the storm clouds. They're gathering, folks. And Jesus said, how is it that you can discern the weather But you can't discern the coming of the Son of Man. So may we be ones that more determined than anything that, Lord, these are special days and difficult days in which we're living in, and we want to walk with you. No compromise. And, Lord, experience the fullness of the richness of your blessings and strength and joy and rest that you have for me. Father, I pray that that truly would be something that would take place in our hearts individually, in our families, in this church family. That as we sing how great thou art, that truly, that Lord, that we would be ones, that we believe that with all of our hearts and that your word is true. And Lord, we don't want there to be compromise. We don't want there to be making any kind of agreement or way for the enemy to come into my life, but to walk with you closely, Lord, and submit to you. And I pray our hearts would be stirred. And Lord, that we would be committed, that we would look up and keep our eyes focused on you, Lord. We have things to do in this world, 
and jobs and things that we're going to continue to pursue. Yes, we know that, Lord. But, Father, to keep you the priority in everything and to watch you show yourself strong on our behalves. Bless this time. If there's anything in anybody right now that you know that there has been compromise, that there's been disobedience, that there's been attitudes that have been wrong, Lord, we know that you're a loving Father that says, turn to me. And you can give it to him and confess it tonight and just receive his forgiveness and his love once again. To come to him as a loving Father, a child that comes to his Father. And he desires for us to do that, to draw you to himself that you may do well and experience his love and rest and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.